Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Radical Polymers. Nation, running a water treatment business is hard. Dealing with your suppliers shouldn't be. And when I deal with the fine folks over at Radical Polymers, I have always felt like I have had a partner. They test things in the environment that we are going to use their products. They also make sure that if I have any questions, that I get the answer that I am looking for. Mike and the fine folks over at Radical Polymers answer the phones. Folks, when was the last time you actually talked with somebody when you had a technical support question? Well, they make your issues their issues and they get right down to the problem. They offer best-in-class technologies with the first-class support that I just mentioned. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash radical to find out more. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hello, everybody. Trace Blackmore here, the host of Scaling Up H2O. And last week, we were talking to my friend, Reed Hutchinson of HOH, and he is back this week to share even more knowledge with us. And this is a bright guy, folks. I enjoyed this interview so much. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. Reed is part of the Rising Tide Mastermind. I've spoken about the Rising Tide Mastermind on a few podcasts. That is where a group of trusted advisors get together and we talk about important issues and ideas and we share that with one another to make sure that we are getting clear, concise data and then through others' experiences, we can focus on what we need to focus on. Folks, it's what successful people do to become more successful, and I love having Reed in the group. So it might be right for you. I will tell you, it is not for everybody because a big part of the Rising Tide Mastermind is we hold each other accountable. And that very thought of accountability might send some screaming. So if that's you, the Rising Tide Mastermind is probably not the best choice. But if it sounds like accountability is a tool that you could use where other people are helping you stride to achieve more, then I would ask you to consider going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you. Well, folks, I am going to reintroduce my friend, Reed Hutchinson, and we're going to conclude the interview that we started last week. Well, now take your owner hat off or your manager hat off and now put the hat on that you are now somebody that's trying to convince somebody else that this is a worthwhile investment to send them to training. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, so if I'm trying to convince a boss, you know, I, I guess the first thing somebody might feel is they might be kind of scared to ask their boss. So if that's you, you know, maybe, maybe a question would be to say, you know, if you're scared to ask your boss about going, I wonder what what else you're scared to ask your boss. And I think you got to kind of look at, you know, is your boss for you, you know, or, or not? And I think, you know, most people would say, hey, my boss is for me. Well, then, you know, those fears, that insecurity you've got about, about making this ask, uh, you can put those aside because somebody who's for you is going to at least give this some consideration. 
and you really don't know till you say yes. So I, I think advice I got, you know, not related to this, but in and from a mentor in college was just don't say no for other people. So you don't know until you ask. No, no, hold on. I got to stop you. You got to say that again, because that is awesome. Say that one more time. I mean, remember what I said, I guess just don't say no for people. I love that. I mean, that is brilliant. We have so much stuff that goes on in our head that probably, you know, 90% of that's never going to happen. And we defeat the cause before we even try to champion it. I love that phrase. Say it one more time. Yeah. Don't say no for anybody. You don't know until you ask. Um, so don't assume and don't say no uh, for anybody else. So yeah, I mean, if you're if your boss is for you, you know, generally they may say no, but there's other benefits to asking. You demonstrate that you want to grow, and who knows? They may they may be saying no not because they don't want to invest in you, but maybe they see a different opportunity for it, and it could open up a, a really productive conversation about about your future. So so yeah, don't be afraid. And then you know if if your boss is really just not seeing the value, and they're kind of hung up on the economics of it. Um, you know, I, this might be a lot to ask for some folks, but I would say, Hey, can I, can I get some time off to, to go and I'll pay for myself? You know, that, that would be a fallback position. So then the company's not uh, having to spend the cash uh, for you to go and they won't feel maybe you being out of the office for a couple of days. Ideally they pay you for those. Um, that would be great. So you could volunteer to pay your own way. And then, you know, if that doesn't work, you could go back one more line and you could ask for access to the online courses that uh, AWT companies uh, can get. Um, and maybe if you do that, you, you don't get the benefit or a lot of the benefits we've talked about, about being there in person, but you do get a flavor for what the seminar has to offer. And if you make the most of those online courses and find ways to prove value, then you might have a shot at, at uh, the next year making a case for why you should go in person. So, you know, it's, it becomes a negotiation, um, just like most things. And so definitely ask, you know, for them to pay your way and to send you to go. That would be, you know, that would be the biggest win. But you got room to kind of lower the ask down to something that is a little bit more reasonable and practical. So don't let, you know, a boss say no for you, you know, in terms of going, if you're a water treatment professional that's trying to get better, man, I mean, you, you one should invest in yourself um, and go and you might actually get more benefit out of that. And then, you know, at some point you got to evaluate, maybe there's other folks that, that do want to invest in you and you got to take care of yourself and your own professional development. You are laying down some great advice there. I know we have helped people on both sides of that fence and um, very well said. Well, let's go ahead and go into there's a certain examination that you are getting ready for. It's called the Certified Water Technologist Examination. And I know that you are someone that likes to prepare and you are doing certain things to know that you are ready when that date comes. I want to know, one, how you decided you wanted to take it, and then what you are doing to make sure you are ready far before that day comes. Wow. Okay. So I guess, you know, first deciding why I wanted to take it. Honestly, Trace, I mean, a lot of it has to do with, I think, the case you've made for the industry, for the association, and for the certification over the last two years. So I'm, you know, I'm a regular listener. I started listening in, you know, I think it was April 2017. That was the first month we started. How'd you find us? I'm curious. 
you know, I, I don't know. I actually don't remember how I got referred. I think from time to time when I first joined the industry uh, five years ago, I remember searching online for resources. So searching on podcasts or searching online. And there were some like random kind of weird ones out there, but none that were, were very specific to industrial water treatment. So I actually think from time to time, I have been checking online for different resources. And I think I just, I looked up on, on podcasts and I ended up finding um, you. So I think it was by chance, but I, I was in a process of periodically searching for materials out there because, you know, when I joined in 2014, I had a fair amount of resources internally at HOH, but not a ton of external resources. And that was what I was really, you know, thirsty for was, you know, folks that either weren't my dad, you know, or didn't work for HOH, kind of folks that I just knew would have an objective kind of broader perspective on the industry that I could use, you know, to kind of validate what I heard and, and knew. I, I Not that, you know, my dad isn't, you know, a smart water treater or the folks I work with aren't, but I I always kind of needed some sort of external validation because, you know, when you, when you grow up in a family business, you you can naturally be suspicious, you know, of what people are telling you because you live in a bubble sometimes. And so I really, really wanted a source that was outside. And, and, and yeah, I stumbled upon your show and it, it kind of blew me away just how, you know, specifically you spoke to what people like me were doing. And I didn't have an appreciation for the world. So your, your show was kind of my introduction to the wide world of water treatment. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate you saying that. And I don't meet people often that have been listening to me from the beginning. So uh, I didn't mean to get us off track, but it just really surprised me. Normally people, uh, they found me a year into it or something like that. And to say that you have managed to allow the show to, to get better, because the first shows were, were pretty rough. So if you've been <laughs> listening from the beginning, I appreciate that. Well, I mean, when you're the only one out there, you know, speaking to you know, my unique circumstances or water treaters circumstances, you know, you, you kind of realize that the production quality doesn't have, it doesn't have to be great, you know, cause you're, you're the only one that, you know, took the time to be intentional about, you know, speaking to the audience. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of the magic of the show and, and, you know, you're the first to do that. And I think that's why it's got a lot of, uh, a lot of power, especially I think Connor was one of the early interviews on there. You know, he mentioned listening to, you know, Tim Ferriss, like he's always downloading, you know, information and is always listening to stuff in his car. And I'm a fan of Tim Ferriss as well. And that mindset, you know, I, I share with Connor. And I think, you know, there's a lot of other folks like me that are younger professionals that, you know, are pretty thirsty for, you know, a voice they can trust that's, you know, for their professional development uh, in the industry, but also that has a philosophy of, you know, a rising tide raising all ships. I think I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. I also want to personally get better at what I'm doing every day. And I think you're kind of hitting that right on the head with the show. Well, I greatly appreciate that. I tell you, um, you know, hearing that is one of the things that really keeps me going. Uh, I recently went to an ASHRAE show and I had people come up to me and saying, hey, I'm part of the Scaling Up Nation. I love stuff like that because we all can work together. It is possible, even though we all are competitors, but we can learn from each other. We can help each other. And like you said, a rising tide just doesn't raise one boat. It raises all of the boats or ships. So thank you so much for saying that. Now let's get back to our regularly scheduled program with the Certified Water Technologist Prep. Yeah, I mean, you, you, so you made a really strong case, you know, to get that certification. And I think that, 
that case you made over a couple of years, you know, internally at HOH, when I started, we, you know, I trained for a few months shadowing people and we had our own modules. We went through an exam and I passed that test, um, you know, and was sort of anointed, you know, what we call a water quality engineer here. So I'd kind of gone through that, but, you know, I think I'm beginning to see earlier on uh, when you start talking about the CWT, you know, provides a fair amount of external credibility. And at HOH, I think a few folks had taken it 10 or 15 years ago and and they kind of passed on it organizationally. They kind of said, hey, you know, the CWT is valuable, but we think we can do our own thing. And and that was the philosophy uh, for a long time that I kind of walked into. But over the last two years, I, I think I've begun to see the limits of having strictly an internal program. And when I, you know, begin to think about the industry longer term, you know, I think I see the benefit of being personally certified. It helps me establish credibility at my age and experience, especially as I move into greater management positions and I'm, I'm less and less in a field service role. I don't want to ever be out of touch with the core practices uh, of water treatment because that's you know, the foundation of what we do. And I, I think it's a huge miss when upper management doesn't have that firm technical foundation. So I don't want to get too far removed um, before I establish credibility, you know, and I think the other side of it, of wanting to go for it is, you know, it's a, it's a status symbol that, you know, I think I want to achieve and accomplish. And, you know, I, I enjoy running races and doing things. And, you know, that was something I, I felt like I would have a lot of fun going after and it would be rewarding to put the work in. So I, I signed up actually, uh, my brother-in-law, Andy, um, he's been in the business seven years and, and we're super close and are excited about our future in the family business. Um, and he shares uh, a similar point of view. And actually this year, he was the one that pushed me to sign up finally for the date. You know, I, I didn't take the CWT challenge from you. I, I actually uh, shied away from that. You know, I just didn't make it a priority and say, yeah. So that, that was one piece of advice I didn't follow. But when my brother-in-law, Andy, just kind of threw down and said, hey, I'm going to take it in September before the conference. I want to knock this thing out. I'll never do it unless I sign up. So let's just go for it. Him signing up kind of gave me that that peer pressure to go ahead and sign up as well. So we're taking it September 4th and, and we're doing a couple different things to study for it. The, the main thing I've been utilizing is the technical training uh, and reference manual. That's a huge book. And then what I've been doing, my, my main practice has been to take it one chapter at a time. It's pretty hard to go through that book straight through, but I, I've been going through and, and essentially just taking notes in a Word doc next to it and trying to transcribe some of the complicated topics into my own shorthand, either pictures or, or keywords for me to grasp the concept. Uh, and then we've uh, taken the practice uh, questions that you get. We loaded those into this tool online called Quizlet, and we've been using those as flashcards to study the questions that, you know, we think could be on the test. Uh, you, you check which ones you got right. You revisit the ones you didn't. And that's been a big part of our study practices as well. And the third part is, you know, the math problems. Generally, those we're picking one and working through it together. We've needed to ask a few people internally on our technical team for, for guidance and, and help on how to work those. But yeah, I'd say it's just, it's reading and translating and then practicing on those questions and you know, I don't know if it's going to work or not because I haven't taken it yet, but I'm surely hoping uh, it works. And then I've also kind of told myself if it doesn't, you know, I have I have just yet an up, another opportunity to study and learn and get better. So, well, I'm going to encourage you not to put the pressure on yourself to pass it. 
put the pressure on yourself to what you're doing, you're preparing for it. And if for some reason you don't pass it, it's not the end of the world. You now have experience of taking the examination. You know what the process is like, and you already laid the groundwork of how you're preparing for it. You now need to go back and, and maybe go over some other things. So, uh, But so many people, they'll stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning the night before. You're taking it on September 4th, so they'll stay up that whole night, September 3rd, not get a good night's sleep and uh, walk in and just have so much pressure on themselves that they have to pass it, don't do that. It's not worth it. And uh, if, you're, if you're prepared for it, you'll pass it. If you're not, you'll re-prepare for it, and then you'll pass it. Yeah, I think that's, that's spot on. It's, it's easy to fall in the trap of, you know, yeah, waiting until you're always ready, you know, and I think it's, the shortcut is, is to jump in, get the feedback, and adapt from there and, you know, don't sweat it and your ego will be fine. So that's what I'm telling myself, but I appreciate the encouragement. And that's, you know, part of the benefit of, of, of talking with you and listening to this is, you know, is working out some of those issues just like that. Well, awesome. And uh, I will expect a phone call when you do pass it. I will let you know as soon as I know, which I, I guess happens right after I take it. So you will hit a button and it will say, are you done with the test? And you will hit uh, yes. And it will say, are you sure? And then that next press is about 50 pounds on your finger and you finally hit that button. And it will say, you finished the test and something's printing out in the front of the office as you pack up all your stuff. And she will have a page for you when you exit that room. Yeah, it should be. Uh, it'll be a fun day. So and I'm, I'm glad I, I get to do it. I mean, one of the I love working with my brother-in-law, Andy, you know, this, I'm just, I'm excited to be doing it with him. You know, he's been a partner and a friend and, you know, like I shared, we motivate each other to try and do better and, and to compete in a productive way. And so, um, success or failure, I'll be doing it with him and, you know, we'll see how we do. It might be a little bit funny if one of us passes and the other one doesn't, but you know, it's, it's been a good process for us. So we're hoping for the best. Well, thank you for sharing what you've done. I know that will help other listeners as they prepare either for the certified water technologist examination or whatever they have in their industry. You mentioned you like challenges and you're a runner. And I know that you use that for some interesting things when it comes to water. So I was hoping you could talk to us about some of the clean water projects that you've done. Yeah, this is a huge passion area for me, starting back in, in 2014, actually. It's been cool to see how I believe God's kind of connected this passion that I stumbled on in 2014 to, to my work in, in water treatment in general. I've started running in 2012, really because a friend of mine just after college uh, said he was going to go run a marathon in, in Death Valley, and you know he wanted me to do it. And so I signed up with him and we didn't train very well, but we, we struggled through it. And it's the kind of thing you do when you're 22 and, and dumb and, and just uh, trying to check different things off your bucket list. And so we went and did it and it was, it was a fun experience, but I never really thought I, I would run again. But in 2014, I actually I went to church one Sunday morning and there was an organization there called Team World Vision that had organized a, a group of friends that were going to run the Chicago Marathon while fundraising with their friends and family for clean water projects typically um, deployed in East Africa. And so I said yes in 2014 uh, to run the Chicago Marathon and to do this fundraising. And, and that experience exposed me to the global water crisis, which was something I, I didn't know much about. There are hundreds of millions of people that live every day uh, without clean water. And it 
dramatically impedes their ability to grow and develop. And so in 2014, I, I learned what, what this cause was. I had an awesome experience training. Um, it's super hard to train for 18 weeks. It's not an easy process, but I did it in community and was educated about the cause in a way that allowed me to invite friends and family to donate, you know, $25 or 50 bucks to bring clean water to people. And so I had a really impactful experience there. And that actually led me to, to do it again in 2015. And ultimately in 2016, I, I got a chance to travel to a town in Uganda called Belisa. My wife and I sponsored a kid uh, in that village and we got to see some of the work of World Vision firsthand. And World Vision's child sponsorship program is pretty simple. You pay monthly to support a specific child. You get these updates and pictures of, of what's going on uh, with their life. But really what you're funding is a World Vision team that's doing you know, long-term, like 10 or 15-year development work in a community, usually consisting of uh, significant water projects that bring clean water to a community. And I just had an amazing experience getting to, one, meet our sponsor child, Alfred, in Belize, Uganda. And then secondly, just to see how transformative it was to this community to receive clean water. And I was so captured by the work World Vision was doing and specifically Team World Vision, who was running these crazy races and and really challenging, inspiring people to get involved. So much so that I, I said yes to this race um, in 2016 that was a 56-mile race in South Africa. It was between the towns of Peter Maritzburg and Durban. No, no, wait, wait, wait a second. So 56 miles and like the hottest place on the planet. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't very cool there. It was warm. And it was a crazy thing to do. And I, you know, I was I was captured, you know, kind of by the vision, inspired by this crazy group of people who was doing this. And not only was it a, a big physical challenge, but it was also a pretty large fundraising challenge. The the goal was to raise um, support for one child per mile. So so I actually had this goal of fifty-six kids getting sponsored over the course of training for six months. And so I was inviting, you know, friends, family, church, people, anybody I met to sponsor a kid for like 39 bucks a month. Um, so not a, not a small financial investment, but I had these cards with these pictures of these kids that I was trying to get support for. And they, they actually all lived in Belize, Uganda. And it was this amazing experience. I had no idea what I got myself into. I was just saying yes to, you know, one invitation after the other from people that I trusted. And, you know, my, my life was really transformed through this experience. And it just broadened kind of my horizons to, you know, what one person when working with, you know, a team of people can do uh, to impact lives across the world. And so super passionate about it. I actually, you know, the, the race itself in South Africa, it goes through a, uh, an area they call the land of a thousand hills. And it really did look and feel like a thousand hills, you know, and traveling halfway across the world to do this. It was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And it was a painful experience because I, I actually did not complete the 56 miles. There are a couple of reasons for that. And, but it was a painful, you know, physical failure of mine because I had a lot of people that knew I was doing it. So it was public, you know, and it was, it was a hard thing to do and not succeed at. But I did make it 43 miles, which I was really proud of. And I was successful in getting 56 kids sponsored. And so you know, it really taught me a lot about, you know, why you do these things. You know, there's, there is a personal physical challenge. That's a big part of it to motivate people. But it taught me a big lesson about, you know, submitting yourself or sacrificing, you know, for other people, 
and just the power of, uh, of what can happen when you get a community engaged in, in helping others around the world. And so, you know, this was, this was something I, I'd been doing for years. It culminated in this race in South Africa, but I've had the chance to kind of bring some of that work and that passion into the business at HOH. And so after, you know, struggling through that race in South Africa, you know, I took a little bit of time off, but I was still, you know, carrying this burden of how do I help support uh, the people in Belisa, Uganda and expand kind of the impact we were able to have there. And so my dad was, was really inspired by, you know, the journey I was going on with World Vision and ultimately made the decision to partner with World Vision on a different race that they do every year in May called the Global 6K for Water. And so we've used this race as a way to engage our network at HOH in helping end the global water crisis. And we've got this, this phrase in our, in our vision that looks like this. Organizations are linking arms with us in a grander vision, and thousands of people are engaged in the effort to end the global water crisis by 2030. And we've really crystallized sort of this heart that we've developed in the business for, for making a lasting impact. And this is one of the ways that we're trying to do that. And I know, you know, there's a lot of folks in the water treatment industry that have looked for ways to connect, you know, their business to a cause bigger than themselves. I think a lot of folks have found water related charities and programs to invest in, but I was hoping to share a little bit about this experience one, cause it's, you know, it's a fun part of, of my story that, you know, shares a lot about me but it's also a very accessible way for water treatment professionals and business owners to get uh, engaged in a cause, especially if they're not already. And so, you know, if somebody's not ever run a marathon, Team World Vision has races all across the U.S. And it's a great program because it helps get you into the race, educates you about the cause, and it can be a super transformative experience. And then this Global 6K, it's, it's a 6K race, so about four miles. And the model is pretty exciting. They, they have a, a site in Chicago, which, which we host uh, or promote as HOH, but they also do a model where they, they allow you to be a host site yourself wherever you are in the U.S. So some people are a host site of one, some are host sites of 10 or 100 at their business or church. And it allows tens of thousands of people to be a part of this global 6K for water once a year all on the same weekend. And they raise tons of money for these projects in, in East Africa. And it's just a, a super powerful movement that, you know, I think is just so aligned with what a lot of us are trying to do as water streaming professionals. And, you know, I think it'd be a great way if folks aren't engaged in a cause, you know, this is certainly one that's a, that's a layup, you know, for, for water treatment professionals. And, you know, Team World Vision is a great way to get involved. So wanted to share that with you guys. No, that's amazing. Thank you so much for doing so. So if someone's listening, they want to find out more, do they just Google Team World Vision? Yeah, Google Team World Vision or Global 6K for Water, and you'll get the dates for the race in May. Yeah, and like I said, it's uh, they're a great organization, and they're super easy to work with. Yeah, I, I'd suggest, uh, you know, if you want to get involved, you want to do a race, um, they'd be a great partner to do that with. I have to ask personally, how do you train for a 56-mile race? <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a lot of miles and, you know, I guess I might not be the best person to speak from cause I, I didn't finish, but you know, I have aspirations of going back and doing it in, in future years. So it's, it, you take it down into, into small little bites, just like anything else. So, you know, for me, it, it starts in December and it runs through May. You're running about six days a week, you know, for that period of time, you already got to kind of have a firm base. And eventually you work yourself up to about 70 miles per week that you're running. So you spread the miles out. 
think the farthest I ran prior to the race was a marathon on Saturday and a marathon on Sunday. And so generally with a lot of these programs, you, you, you look at weekly mileage and you work up to the race or uh, race mileage or greater. And then you actually just don't, you don't run the distance typically before you do the race, but you have it baked into the total miles of the week and the rest, you know, on race day, you know, your body's ready for it, but, but psychologically you've never quite experienced the distance all in one bite. And, and, but it generally, uh, the training plan should bring you through the other interesting part. If you don't run a lot, you know, at the endurance level, the surprising part you have to learn about is, is nutrition. You know, when you're running for, you know, 10 hours, uh, you got to eat. And that's a pretty big part of, of endurance running that most people don't think about, um, but takes a lot of practice to see what foods you like, how much to eat, how to stay hydrated. And so it's a pretty interesting, you know, art that I, you know, when I first ran a marathon, I never thought I would have been involved at that level. And I, I don't want to give any, you know, false impressions. I'm not a very pretty runner. I'm not very fast, you know, but it's something, you know, I, I find a lot of pleasure in. It's a great way to release stress. And uh, it's been fun to find a way to exercise like this and take on these challenges, but, but for a good cause. So, Reed, we have covered a multitude of topics. We have been through at, at least half a dozen topics, I think, of, but I am not done with you quite yet. I want to I want to ask you a few questions that I'm kind of curious on how you how you perceive these things. So the first one I'll ask is how do you learn new things in water treatment? I'd probably break it down into into two buckets. You know, I've got, you know, some external resources and then some internal ones. You know, the internal ones for me being a family business, we've been around for a while. You know, I've got a lot of folks I work with that have been engineers or water treatment professionals for, gosh, you know, 20, 30, and in some cases, 40 years. So I learn a lot about water treatment kind of through osmosis by being in proximity with folks as issues come up in the business. You know, at this point right now, I'm, I'm handling some of the managerial sides, but you know, on the insurance side, a lot of things pop up that are that are water treatment and technical, and I I may not have all the answers, so I just I listen and absorb you know as much as I can from you know the folks that are far more experienced than I am in water treatment within HOH. So that's the big kind of internal source. We've got some of our own kind of files and, and documents that I'll read through as needed, but that kind of internal learning comes as as issues pop up that I need to learn about. You know, the more proactive external sources, you know, like I've mentioned before, your podcast at a weekly level, I'm always listening to. That's probably the easiest thing because it pops up in my feed and I can easily listen to it in my commute. And then I've also been reading the analysts. I get that regularly. AWT sends out emails with generally some discussions, but also some resources that they link to periodically. And then I've been attending the the conference since 2017. So this upcoming uh, year is my third. And that's kind of how I've tried to stay on top of things at this point. So there's not a whole lot of the resources I'm aware of, you know, that are beneficial. And, you know, uh, for the most part, AWT's kind of covered a lot of the bases for me. Well, I think that's a good list. And I'm sure people are taking notes on that. 
But I'm curious, and I have a millennial on the conversation right now. So I've tried to explain to other, perhaps older water treaters, that they do not have to go online and download each and every episode. And I haven't been doing a very good job of that, apparently, because I know several people are still doing that. So can you explain to the Scaling Up Nation maybe to the more seasoned people in the Scaling Up Nation, how you automatically get podcasts to just show up in your feed. Yeah, so, you know, generally the mobile phone market is, is split up between either Android operating systems, uh, which is anything not Apple, and then you got Apple. And so you either go to your Google Play Store or your App Store, make sure you download a podcast player. There's, you know, gosh, there's a lot of different podcast players. If you're on Apple, which a lot of people are, you know, you just need Apple Podcasts. That's probably the easiest one. But there's other ones out there as well, like Pocket Casts or Overdrive. You download that app. And then within there, you generally should see a search button. And when you click on search, look up Scaling Up H2O, it should pop up Trace's podcast. You click on the icon. And then generally, if the podcast app should have a button that says subscribe. And when you click subscribe, that'll make sure that anytime a new episode drops, which means it's been published you know, to the world, it'll show up in your feed. You might need to, if it's not popping up on your phone like a text message would when it comes in, you might need to go to your settings and go to your general or notifications and make sure that notifications are turned on for that podcast. And then really, it should be just like you get a text message from somebody or, or maybe you have your emails pop up on your home screen, podcast should be able to show up as well. And so when Scaling Up publishes an, a new show, it should pop up and you can tap it and play it right there. And that's the easiest way to stay informed. So yeah, for those of that are less tech savvy, you know, you could follow those instructions. The other one would be just to ask somebody uh, that is more tech savvy and get on there. If you're not getting podcast new episodes like you would a text message, then something's not working right. It should be that easy. Thank you for that public service announcement. I remember years ago when I was on the board for the Association of Water Technologies, we had tried this new app called Convention 2.0. And it had all of the things that were going on at the convention. You could connect with people. It had a group chat that you could join. You could ask questions to the speakers over it. It was a really neat tool. And I remember there was a gentleman, I won't mention his name because I'm sure you know him. And he approached me and he said, hey, I've been hearing about this Convention 2.0. Can you tell me how to get that? And he had a smartphone. I said, okay, well, what you need to do is open up your email where Heidi or Angela sent you an email that gave you all the instructions and we'll just click on that link. And he looked at me, he said, you can get email on this thing? We then decided that Convention 2.0 probably wasn't for him and I gave him a paper brochure. Yeah. With all the different generations, you know, in the workforce nowadays, there's a pretty wide disparity between, you know, people's comfort levels with especially technology. And I think I, one thing I've learned being a millennial in, in this business and having to work with everybody, you know, I see the pros and cons of, you know, some folks are, are super fast with technology, you know, like a millennial is, but the downside is we are kind of tech dependent and we lean on it too often and that can be to our detriment. So, you know, for those folks that are a little bit slower with it, you know, there are some pros to that as well. So if anybody's feeling a little insecure about that, I just hope they hear from a millennial you know, that it's, it's okay. I mean, we, we need everybody, we need all generations, you know, pulling together. We all have to reckon with technology changing, you know, and the more humble we are, then the quicker we are to laugh, you know, what we don't know yet. 
and asking for help. I think the better we'll all get along as we move forward. Well said. And you mentioned Apple, of course, for Apple Podcasts. The ones I like for Android, I'm an Android guy, are Google Podcasts and Stitcher. But I think we're on every single service that are out there. I've I've really tried to make sure that if you look for us, you're going to find us. My next question is, what is the weirdest thing that you've seen in water treatment? Well, I mean, the weirdest thing, I don't know if it's just weird, it's probably the grossest thing I've seen. It's we take care of some some larger industrial food processors and specifically some plants that are actually killing cows and, and, and pigs. And when we handle the wastewater or, or some of the steam generation or the cooling, and I visited some of those facilities and they're, they're great customers. And obviously this is America, you know, we eat a lot of meat and everybody loves bacon for the most part. And so it's a huge necessity. But I actually got to, to tour some of these facilities up close and personal, and I was just blown away at just, you know, the manufacturing elements, the efficiency, but also it's pretty gruesome to see that many animals, you know, and just all of the parts that are, that are involved with it. It's probably one of the coolest, kind of grossest and weirdest things I, I've ever seen. I haven't stopped eating meat, but I have a new appreciation for, you know, just how the economy works and, and how we're fed here. It's a tough business, a tough job, you know, we're we're happy to support it as water treaters. But, you know, personally, when I saw it, was, it marked me. Right. It doesn't come just showing up in that cellophane wrapper. No, no. It, it's I walked away with that, an appreciation for, you know, as a consumer getting to shop. I mean, that's that's about as close as I want to get. But yeah, I mean, I mean, thousands of people work in that business and it's an important one, but it's it's a pretty messy process. Was there ever a time you wanted to do something else besides water treatment since you've been involved in water treatment? Yeah, I, I guess there, there has been. And I, you know, not in a, not in a bad way. I still, I still do uh, from time to time. I'm, I'm kind of hoping, you know, as I grow older in my career, you know, I'll have opportunities to do, to do different things without not being a water treater. You know, one of those things I, I've always kind of been excited to do. It's kind of silly. It's been a, a little dream of mine since high school, but I've always wanted to open up a local pizza joint. So in, in Chicago, you know, there's just tons of hole in the wall pizza places, not just the, you know, we're known for a lot of like deep dish Chicago pizza. Some of the big chains like Giordano's kind of have claimed that, but a lot of Chicago pizza is just, you know, your classic thin crust, square cut pies. And I worked for one of my neighbors who had a pizza joint through high school and college. And just, I always loved it. They're simple, kind of small operations and you get a cool, loyal and local clientele. And I've, I've just always kind of thought it'd be fun to get to the point to be able to open one of those joints myself. I'm hoping I can do that when I'm older, you know, without having to, I would never, I would never leave the water stream industry to open up a pizza joint. But if I had the chance to do it while staying uh, within HOH, I would definitely do that on the side. And then my, my wife, actually, we're kind of doing this now. Um, she's pretty entrepreneurial and she's an artist and she's been running her own uh, custom stationery and calligraphy business. And that's been kind of on and off for the last three years. It's a tough business to work in, but we've always kind of dreamed down the road, kind of similar to the pizza joint, open up a, a local space in our community where she can, you know, put some equipment, printing equipment and teach some classes. And uh, yeah, my, I mean, my dream would be never to leave water treatment, but to also get to explore some of these things that I'm, I'm curious about in our, in our local community. I'm curious, what would you name your pizza place? Oh, man, I should have a name. I've thought about it for so long. I've had a dream about it. I should, I should name it. You know, I, I guess one, one name option I might take would be 
uh, to name it La Roman. That was the pizza place that I, I used to work for. They're closed now in Arlington Heights, Illinois. But yeah, La Roman Pizza Kitchens. I might see if I can reopen under that name. So that's as original of a thought I've got. <laughs> Fair enough. Next time I see you, I'll expect five more, okay? <laughs> that's something Tim Fulton would say to me. I am sure at the time that this episode drops, there's going to be somebody that is brand new to water treatment that is listening to you. What advice do you have for them as they're starting out? So for a new water treater, there's a lot. I mean, it's an overwhelming process to, to jump in to the industry. You know, maybe one, one thing that might be helpful you know, there's a lot of advice that isn't, <laughs> that is, is less helpful. You kind of just need to go through it. But, but maybe one thing that will help somebody who is new make sense of all the information that's coming in would be to think in systems. So yeah, one of my favorite authors is uh, Seth Godin. He writes a lot about marketing, leadership and business, but he also, uh, he writes a daily blog and he always touches on this theme of, of systems thinking. And I think it's, it's really helpful when you're taking all the information to recognize, you know, all of these different component parts that people are telling you about a heat exchanger, you know, the water chemistry, the specific business production, you know, everything operates within the rules of a system and which is a collection of processes that's converting inputs to outputs. And, you know, there's a set of activities to do that, but, you know, the overarching framework of a system, you know, will help you make sense of all the different bits of pieces of that information that people are throwing at you. And you begin to kind of connect that, you know, we deal with water treatment systems, which play a part in the larger HVAC system, which play a part in the building system. And generally, even on the people side and on the business side, you know, there are systems that, you know, if you're looking for them, kind of reveal certain patterns of behavior and, and, and teach you how things work. And that framework of systems, I think, will maybe accelerate the summit of the steep learning curve that is getting into water treatment. And uh, you're hit with a lot of different things, you know, from the super technical to the sales. And, um, you know, just remember, it's all a system. And if you can identify the inputs, the outputs, the primary component parts, you should, over time, be able to put it together. Even if you only know some of the variables, you know, uh, if you're sketching it out, draw some of the pieces of information you don't know. And over time, you begin to kind of capture bits of information and you fill in the gaps so you can get running and do the components of your job while kind of learning along the way just as long as you kind of understand the rules of the system that should probably go a long way to you know making your entry in the industry a little bit easier i have no doubt that that advice is going to help somebody you know you mentioned seth godin he's one of my favorites as well do you ever read any simon sinek oh yeah yeah i mean yeah start with why awesome i think leaders eat last was a great one as well yeah, I'm, I'm big fans of both of theirs. Yeah, I am as well. And, and Nation, if you have not seen Simon Sinek's video that he actually it was a TED Talk that he did, you can get it on YouTube, you can get it from the TED Talk website, but look at Start With Why. It's fantastic. Reed, who has been the most influential person in your water treatment life? Hmm, this is a tough one to answer. I don't think it's just for me, but but definitely for me. You know, it's take takes a village to kind of develop, you know, as a professional in this business. Yeah. So I might name a few people, you know, I, the first one obviously is my dad, you know, he's been in this for 40 years. He joined his dad when he was in his mid twenties, you know, I, and I very legitimately wouldn't be in water treatment if it wasn't for him, you know? So I, I was here first for my dad and, and second for water treatment. And now, you know, I've cultivated my own passion for a water treatment profession and 
but I owe a lot of that to my dad. And I think, you know, the longer I'm in this business, the more I, I grow to respect my dad and what, you know, he's been able to make of his 40 plus years and he's still running in the business. You know, some other other voices, you know, I'd be remiss to say, and I, I probably can't name them all here at HOH, but there's there's maybe like 10, you know, more senior engineers here at HOH that have poured into me and invested in me. You know, first and foremost, they've kind of established that belief that, and this is shared by a lot of other water treaters I know, including, including you, Trace, where, you know, we want to believe that where we compete and where we serve our customers, we're doing it the best. And generally the best is represented in how we service. And so that reputation, that service quality, you know, I've inherited from a lot of the guys that have been a part of the HOH team for 10, 20, 30 years. So there's there's about 10 to 20 of those guys. And uh, I won't name any of them because I don't want to not name somebody. And, uh, and then I'd say maybe thirdly, you know, Trace, again, I, I've expressed my gratitude to you, but you've been a, a big influence as well these last few years. Well, I'm humbled to hear that. And I definitely wasn't fishing for that answer when I asked it. <laughs> Even if you were, it's okay. I think, um, you know, you this podcast, you put a lot into it. And I think responsibility is a big theme, I think, for me. And I think, uh, you know, for other professionals in the industry, we got to take responsibility for making the most of what's put out there. But, you know, I think you've taken responsibility to make your contribution. And I think, you know, the best way people can honor that is just to say, hey, thanks, and to give, give credit where credit's due. Well, I appreciate that. And find new people to listen to the show, I might add. Absolutely. What's the biggest lesson you've learned in water treatment so far? Wow. I would say, I think, because I've, I've been, you know, disappointed time and time again, there are always new problems to solve in water treatment. I get excited about new solutions, new technology, new ideas, and I'm always trying to kind of fix, you know, or, or make things better. But, you know, sometimes I get really let down when, I, when I've solved one thing and then, you know, the, the moment to celebrate is very short because some new issue uh, pops up. And when you think, you know, whether it's on the business side, you, you, you make a lot of progress in one component of the model. And then, you know, an issue or problem rears its head on another side. You're just sort of never done solving new problems. And the same on the water treatment side. You could get a program dialed in. You could be at a good pace with the particular team you're working with at your customer, you know, and then, you know, people are always leaving jobs or facilities or changing companies are getting bought and, and management changes. And so there's just this never ending flow of, of change that, you know, tends to upend, you know, the thing you just solved and creates new problems or, or even the, the hard thing to swallow is when you've solved one issue and unintentionally created another issue you didn't realize. So I've had to just sort of learn that this is a never ending process of, you know, learning and development, solving new challenges and not to get too let down when, you know, there's always a problem in front of you. Generally, as long as they're new problems, you know, it, it's just proof that you're getting better and that you're doing the work. I'm sure there is several answers to this question. So this is the therapy question. What do you see other water treaters do that you just want them to stop doing? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a little bit of therapy and a little bit of preaching, <laughs> but the answer is pretty easy for me. I you know, I would just say to other water treaters out there, stop trying to be the smartest guy or gal in the room. Um, stop trying to be the smartest person in the room. That's one thing, you know, I, I think I've recognized in this industry and it's not just at HOH sometimes it's and not just with, you know, the markets we compete in. It seems like it's everywhere. And uh, I don't know if it's a generational thing or just our industry, but 
you know, it just drives me crazy when there's a, a lot of posturing and a lot of hubris around, you know, having all the right answers and being the smartest one, you know, and we tend to kind of nitpick each other technically and, you know, look for ways to put each other down to try and, you know, claim a certain level of expertise or superiority, you know, thinking that that, you know, is what's going to give us an edge or position with, you know, our customers, but it, it doesn't. And it, I guess I, I see it, it crowds out, you know, people's ability to learn, you know, it shuts down relationships uh, that, you know, may be really uh, productive to have with others in the industry, you know, and then it also kind of distracts from the main thing that we all do, which is, you know, take care of our customers. And a lot of times they're not looking for someone to split hairs and, and try and be the smartest. They're looking for somebody to connect and relate and empathize with what they're trying to accomplish and to, you know, leverage the tools of water treatment to help them accomplish, you know, their goals. Our customers aren't served well. I don't think the industry is served very well by by everybody posturing to be the smartest. I think, you know, longer term in the industry, you know, the real experts are going to be the humble ones who are looking for ways to collaborate and to contribute. And I think that's that's the wave of the future. And, you know, I, I really hope a lot of water treaters catch on to that because I think uh, we'll all be better for it. Well, that was well said. Now, if somebody just tuned in right now, what's the one thing you want them to get out of our conversation? Oh, man, there's a I want to cheat on this question, but I, I think, you know, if you're just tuning in and there's one thing, there's more than one thing. But if, if it had to be one, I would say take a hard look at investing in the AWT technical training in February and March of 2020. So go back to the earlier portions of this episode and 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 listen to some of the components of of making that decision and getting the resources but i think that you know in a nutshell i think we'll we'll get the most benefit for somebody who's just tuning in is looking for a specific action to take well reed this has been a great interview and you've scored very well but we now have the lightning round so it's anybody's game so are you ready to see how well you do let's roll let's do it All right. You now have the ability to go back in time and visit yourself on your very first day as a water treater. What do you say to yourself? Um, Gosh. All right. Uh, I would say read, create a plan to pass the CWT exam and get certified as soon as you can. That would be one thing I wish I had done sooner. I could have done it sooner with my degree and I didn't need the full five years. So I wish I, I wouldn't have hesitated there. So, you know, if I'm talking to read back in 2014, set a date for as soon as I'm qualified and get working on it. What are the last three books that you've read? Well, I'm, you know, I fall prey to always having multiple books started, uh, not finished, but I, uh, three, three of the ones that, that I, I have been reading and, and some I've finished uh, were The Personal MBA by, I think, Josh Kaufman. That was a, a super helpful book. I always wanted to go back to school at some point, get my MBA, but I I don't think I'm going to get the chance to do that. And this was a book that I think pretty much helped alleviate my concern that I was going to be, you know, held back by not having that degree. And it gave me some awesome tools to be able to grasp the business. And I refer to it often. So the personal MBA, I'd highly recommend. I just read that last month. Uh, Another one, Myths and Mortals. It's a book about family businesses and just generational businesses and being a generative leader. That one was super impactful. And then one that I've, I'm still in the middle of because it's a long one is 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. That's been a super popular book out there and, and it's been very impactful on me. 
it's no doubt that Hollywood is going to find out about the Reed Hutchinson story and they are going to make a movie. When they do, who should they cast as Reed? <laughs> I would say, you know, because it's got to be somebody from Hollywood. Um, I'm reaching here. It, I would say Chris Pratt. Yeah, that's that's who I think would probably best play me in a movie. And if you know who he is as an actor, you know, he's he's been in things like Parks and Rec and I. I relate to that character, but he's also been in some some cool movies that I aspire to be as cool in. But uh, yeah, Chris Pratt, he's uh, he's a funny dude, and I think he I think he would do me justice. I actually had an opportunity to meet him once. They do a lot of movies here in Atlanta, and I ran into him. Was he a cool guy to meet? Well, we were actually servicing a, a location where where he was. And uh, we didn't have a very long dialogue, but uh, he said, hey, how's it going? I said, hey. And that was pretty much as far as it went. So, yeah, we're the best of friends now. (laughs) My final question is now you have the ability to talk to anyone throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Well, I mean, in history, it could be a lot of people, but I think one I would love to talk to would be super cool would be Captain Winters, Dick Winters. I think he passed a couple of years ago, but if anybody's seen the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers about, I think it's Easy Company in World War II, there were, a, I think, a paratrooper unit, but a super powerful series I loved. And uh, it was based on on real guys. And one of those guys was Captain Winters. And he's just a he's just an absolute stud. And they interview him a little bit in it, uh, like a documentary towards the end. And I just think he'd be a fascinating guy to talk to, experience some amazing and difficult things and Yeah, he'd be a fun guy to have a beer with. I agree with you there. I had the opportunity to watch Band of Brothers with my grandfather, who was a World War II vet, who never talked about World War II. He shared a little bit of stuff with me as we were watching this. But the thing I remember most about Captain Winters, I remember they were playing poker in the back of a truck. And he fussed at one of his officers and he said, never put yourself in a position where you can take anything from these men. Your job is to lead these men. So that would be that would be a great conversation. I have no doubt. Yeah. Well, Reed, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on Scaling Up H2O. We have covered so much ground in this time, and I know we have helped a bunch of people out there in the Scaling Up Nation. Thank you so much. Thanks, Trace. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Reed, once again, thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O. I enjoyed the interview. I know the listeners out there in the Scaling Up Nation enjoyed the information that you shared with us. And folks, I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody like Reed just share their day-to-day with us, It makes me feel like I am part of a community. A lot of times when we're out there and we're talking with a customer, driving to another account, talking to another customer, driving to another account, it seems like we're all by ourselves. Well, folks, you're not. You are part of a community. You are part of the Scaling Up Nation. And the Scaling Up Nation is growing to incredible numbers. When I started this podcast, wow, almost three years ago, I had no idea that we would reach the numbers that we are, but let's not stop there. If you are talking to a water treater, make sure you mention the Scaling Up H2O podcast 
and get them to subscribe to the podcast. There's so much great information on the show. And of course, you can make it even greater by sharing your ideas with me. To do that, go to scalinguph2o.com and you can either leave me a voicemail or go to the show notes page to leave me your idea there. Folks, I love bringing this show to you. I love that you love Scaling Up H2O. And I'll talk with you next week. And until then, I hope you have a fantastic week. Nation, one of the keys of my success has been being a member of groups of people that help me get to the next level. Let's face it when we are bombarded with the day-to-day of all of these tasks that we have to do in our job, it is so easy for us not to work on the things that we decided were most important to us. We work on things that are most important to other people. The Rising Tide Mastermind is a group that will make sure that you're considering all of the items that are available to you and making sure that you are getting to the next level. Simply put, you will get where you want to go faster when you have a group of people that are encouraging you and keeping you accountable to get there. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if this is the right group for you.